0: Namo Thassa Bhagavato, Arahato Sama Namo Thassa Bhagavato, Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Buddha, Dhamma, And there's a passage in the Dhammapada that says, Threatened, afraid, people go to many a refuge to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering. But when having gone for refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, you see with right discernment the four noble truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the noble eightfold path, the way to the end of suffering. That's the secure refuge. That, the highest refuge. That is the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering. There's a chant that we do it's it's actually um, one of the very earliest discourses of the Buddha. It's called the Mahamangala Sutta. It's translated sometimes as the auspicious activities or the highest blessings. And I thought I would talk through the meaning of the stanzas. It ends with the Buddha saying, They who live by following this path know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the highest blessings. So, what is this path? It starts out with avoiding those of foolish ways, associating with the wise, and honoring those worthy of honor. These are the highest blessings. So Buddha talked quite a lot about who we associate with. And there are beautiful passages about how we should be friends to one another and take care of each other, um, always guide each other to do what's good, try to help each other stay away from what's not good. Said a good friend will watch over you when you're not mindful, and they'll watch over your stuff when you're not mindful. And he's talking about staying away from, not associating with people who are, you know, violent, mean, foolish, doing things that are leading to more suffering, and associating with those who really do see the way things work, you might say, the truth of the nature of things. Um, Those who always... Be a good example. Or own it when they're not, and work to um, correct their faults. And then this part about honoring those worthy of honor can really cause one to reflect on who is that. One time when I was in England training at Amaravati Monastery, there was a, a class of third graders that I think they were third graders that came to the monastery. That monastery is quite popular, and busloads of people stop and get out and come come into the temple. And uh, the monk that was there receiving them um, was really great with these kids. And one thing he, he asked them was, "Who are your heroes?" And so they talked about that a little bit, and then he um, he was sitting with a big Buddha statue, in front of a big Buddha statue, and he said, "That's my hero." <laughs> I'm talking about you know how how to choose those people that we honor and respect, and that whole process of giving respect to what deserves respect. When I first used to go to the monastery, I would bow with everybody else. But I told Ajahn Pasano, my teacher, at one point, I don't do that at home. I felt a little hypocritical. And he said, well, it's just giving respect to what deserves respect. And I thought, hmm, I really needed to look into what is it that deserves respect? What are you bowing to? not statues it's just a reminder it's an icon what do you what do you give respect to and there was one time when um both abbots of the monastery and Amaro were there and this other monk came that i knew a little bit but not very well and he's more senior to them and both of them got down on the floor and bowed to this monk and it just was so beautiful it's like a humility. You know, the Buddha himself said, after his enlightenment, we all need some someone to bow to, to look up to, to, you know, have that reverence for. And actually, because his full enlightenment was so powerful, he couldn't see anyone who he could bow to, but he bowed to the Dhamma to the way things are, to that truth, that beautiful, underlying, unchangeable reality. Now there's a monk in Thailand who wrote a book about Buddhism and Christianity, and he equated Dhamma with God. And I think it's a worthwhile investigation. What what does God mean to you if you're looking in that direction for that that concept those that terminology because we're all working with the same spiritual material in different forms and ways of describing it the next stanza is living in places of suitable kinds so This looks pretty suitable. (laughs) There are certainly places on the planet that are unsuitable, where it's hard to maintain one's virtue and even one's life. But we're pretty fortunate in that regard. With the fruits of past good deeds, realizing that there's some good causes and conditions that got put in place before in our in our lives, probably way back, and guided by the rightful way, and that's actually guided by the noble eightfold path. So there's this, um, as was in the quote from the Dhammapada the Four Noble Truths, that there is this reality that there is suffering, dissatisfaction. And when we open up to that, we are taking the first and absolutely essential step to being free from suffering. And then by opening up to whatever distress we may be experiencing, suffering, discontent, whether small or large, we can investigate the underlying cause. The second noble truth is that we see the cause and abandon it, turn away from that, whether that's attachment, greed, ill will, or some kind of misunderstanding or ignorance of the way things actually are. And when we do that, we have the third noble truth. The suffering ceases. And it is possible to just experience that, a realization, and then the suffering ends. And then that's that's the pattern. And work with everything that way. The fourth noble truth that noble eightfold path requires that we develop wisdom that we develop meditation and we develop <coughs> virtue so the words are usually actually something like right view right intention right right, right speech right action right livelihood right energy or effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And there's, of course, many teachings about what that means. But living according to that path is what it's referring to here, guided by the rightful way. The Buddha wasn't um, trying to turn people into Buddhists. He was trying to show what he had realized, what he found that actually works. And it's it's not done from kind of a moralistic position, that you're bad or you're good in that way. It's, It's about how we it's about wholesome and unwholesome actions. They either move towards peace or they move away from peace. And that there's, there's always the opportunity to, to change direction. And keep trying to change it, move it in a good direction. <laughs> Accomplished in learning and craftsman skills with discipline highly trained. So, learning, developing (coughs) skill, this is all uh, training. Uh Most of you have already heard that my son became a monk when he was 24 and that's how I got into this. And before that, he was a jazz pianist. He started when he was five, and he was playing in the Holiday Inn Lounge when he was 14 and had a little group and did all kinds of things and went to the Berklee School of Music in Boston. It was really a good jazz school. A degree in piano performance and composing and all that. And in an hour upon hour in the practice room, and he decides to be a Buddhist monk. And not only does he decide to be a Buddhist monk, he decides to be a Buddhist monk in the one tradition that doesn't allow playing any musical instruments. <laughs> None. <laughs> and people would say, hey, you can't give that up. I, what he observed was that all it was all a training and the focus and his ability to improvise and be aware in the moment and move with it wasn't so different from meditation. Um, it was all training. I'm trying to remember a quote from a teacher I just heard recently. Beauty, you might have to help me, is attention to detail. Sorry. <laughs> but you can, the craft... You might even have experienced if you if you do any kind of painting or some kind of activity where you really have to pay attention and you get into that zone. It's concentration. We love to concentrate actually. We just have to find the right way that we want to run to go do it. <laughs> um disciplined, highly trained, with speech that is true and pleasant to hear. It's very important um, that we're honest, that we're truthful, especially with ourselves, but truthful in any case. If we have that um, commitment to to truthfulness and we have a, an intention a, a commitment to investigate we can find out all of it and um, all of what's true and this idea of speech that's pleasant to hear um, is great but it's not universally applicable the Buddha talked about how it's very important to say what's true and to not say what's not true to speak the truth when there's a when there's a good purpose behind it mm-hmm. and at the right time So sometimes we have to say what's true for the benefit, for the good purpose, even though somebody doesn't want to hear it. But we have to look for the right time. And in another, in another discourse he says, speak, have a heart of loving kindness. Make sure that the heart and mind is coming from a place of loving kindness rather than inner hatred. also throws in gentle rather than harsh. Now, sometimes things can sound harsh. Sometimes people really need a jolt to wake up. But if it comes from that heart of loving kindness with a good purpose, it's not coming from our own selfishness or irritation or desire some kind, then it's the, the kind of speech that the Buddha would recommend. So it's really useful to have those five qualities in mind when we're going to talk to somebody, especially if it's something difficult. Am I really coming to this from the right place? He also tells the monks and nuns that we shouldn't criticize somebody else unless we've checked to make sure we're not doing the same thing. Cuts down on the projection. (laughs) Somebody said to me, you know, when you start to look at what the Buddha said about right speech, you know, we should just like cut out about 70% of what we say. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Probably true <laughs> okay providing for mother and father's support and cherishing family and the buddha really put highly that we respect our parents and look after them and you know honor the the role we have In the people's lives around us. Now, every, there are lots of different situations. And sometimes there are situations where we have to be, um, we have to protect ourselves from some of the people in our, in our families. And that also needs to be considered. And ways of work that harm no being. So, this comes into that right livelihood idea. Um, making every effort to avoid trading in drugs and alcohol and um, buying and selling living beings. The Buddha puts a list. Fishing and farming make it hard sometimes, but we do the best we can. There was a monk who went to a very rough town in Thailand was living there, it was a fishing village, and someone said to him, are you teaching them to not fish? And he said, no, I'm trying to teach them not to kill each other. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's all relative. (laughs) Um, Generosity and a righteous life, giving, Buddha talked about giving and being generous as sort of the first level of of, um, opening up to the path and acting in ways that leave no blame, like we talked about earlier. These are the highest blessings. Steadfast in restraint and shunning evil ways, all those ways of breaking moral precepts, avoiding intoxicants that dull the mind, And heedfulness in all things that arise. Heedfulness is a very, very nice word. How to be heedful in the way that we do things. So that's mindfulness and wisdom, clear comprehension, respectfulness and of humble ways, contentment and gratitude. And hearing the Dhamma frequently taught, these are the highest blessings. Patience and willingness to accept one's faults. That like okay, I did it. <laughs> so what? <laughs> it's alright. Seeing venerated seekers of the truth, so looking to those people who are Accomplished on the path and sharing often the words of Dhamma, so the the words of the truth of the way things are. This holy life lived with ardent effort, seeing for oneself the noble truths and the realization of Nibbana. These are the highest blessings. Although involved in worldly tasks, unshaken the mind remains, and beyond all sorrow, spotless secure, these are the highest blessings. They who live by following this path know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the highest blessings.